Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm back today with my co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello everyone. And we are here for faculty meeting 154 Nerd Culture. (laughs) And this is a look back at Dungeon Talk episode 16. Now you, dear listener, may be thinking, but wait, last time you did one of these, you were talking about Dungeon Talk episode 17. Now you're going backwards to 16? Yes, we are. Yes. No further comments will be made about yep. that. Yep. Anyways, so Tom, how are you, buddy? How you been? Uh, good. Um, it's funny. We're talking about nerd culture. I've been filled with rage recently <laughs> about nerd culture, so I'm good. I'm good. I'll just talk about games. And quickly, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can follow me on Twitter, at BezcarTom. On Twitter, yes, it's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. Oh, yeah, no, one other thing I was like, you know... I don't. I haven't talk, been talking about comic books a whole lot lately. You know, just a real quick aside. Oh my word! I just finished the Supergirl comic, mm-hmm. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, and I just want to say, it's an eight issue miniseries. And I know you're doing Farm to Fable and everything. You're immersed in Superman culture. We need mm-hmm. a good Supergirl movie. This comic was so good. Supergirl is just so much. I don't know. It was written by Tom King. I'm just really into Supergirl right now. And it's very weird because I've never been into Supergirl. But Tom King will make me get into anything. So Yeah, you're a Tom King stand. Yeah, yeah, right? I, I am. It's so good. It's just this was very much like it felt like a space opera. And I'm like, Superman needs to be like a space opera. Lots of crazy aliens and galaxies and nebulas and red stars, green stars, purple stars, you know. All that cool stuff. Sounds like Lucky Charms now. Yeah, anyway. But yeah, no. I've been reading a lot of good Supergirl comics. Anyway, that's it. Nice. All right. As for myself again, Michael, you can find me at the RPG Academy. Uh, quickly want to give a shout out to a new patron that has joined since our last episode. It was actually is it's another returning patron. This is Joey Martinez, a.k.a. Reverus. Uh, Joey was with us for a while back in like 2016. And then life got in the way. Life happened. And uh, he's come back, come back at one of our highest tiers. So super big thank you to him uh, for hanging out with us. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and then our patron of the week this week is Peter Harena. So, Peter, thank you so much for being a, uh, a patron of ours. And, uh, Joey, welcome back. But now, before we get into the show, we want to take a quick second to remind everybody of why we're here. The goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point during the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, we hope that there is something, some little nugget of wisdom that you, dear listener, can pull out, apply to your games at your tables, and make them more fun for you and your friends. But we do understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is Pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your friends at the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. With that out of the way, let's jump into the RPG news. What's going on in the world today, Tom? Okay, Big Free League uh, announces their League of Free Agents. This is a, not a game. It is their organized play group. So I think this is cool news ah. because it's not just another game. Free League is dipping their toes into organized play. For those who don't know, organized play is publisher-supported scenarios and support that they give to game masters in order for them to run games at stores or conventions for officially sanctioned events. And so officially sanctioned events, that is very in RPGs now is very loosely, it's very loose. It's just like, here's a module we made for organized play. Run this at your game store. It's very different than what uh, the Adventurers League used to be. For those who use D&D has pretty much dropped all support for organized play. Pathfinder still does a lot of stuff, but it's very different. It's not like you show up with the same character and you get to, uh, you know, this character levels up and you get organized play goodies and things like that it's really just a chance to go to a game store convention and play very much like exclusive adventures that you can't buy along with that there's going to be a an exclusive forum for any game master who signs up to run these games it's very low bar to entry you just sign up you get access to the forum it's not you're not making any commitments or anything to run games per se they just ask that you don't be like pulling the scenarios and running them 
wherever, you know, or posting them. They want to keep it exclusive. So I really, I signed up for this. I'm really excited for this because I really do enjoy the free league community. I just, it's a little bit more niche than like the big Dungeons and Dragons community. And I think I, I have felt, I've never really, it's weird. I have never really felt like part of a specific type of game community other than free league. I don't know, Michael, have you ever like felt like, a part of a very specific community before no yeah it's it's tough so i'm excited for this um i actually am i signed up for it there also is a uh, email to get convention support for your convention so i plan on we can reach out to them for a catacomb stuff what that looks like is them just potentially giving you the names of dungeon masters who may want to run games for you I feel like I would run official free league games at, at Catacon. I know I have several friends of mine who've signed up for this, who are big free league mm-hmm. fans as well, and they would be willing to run. So I, I guarantee we're going to see some, uh, this is jumping into a Catacon news, but I guarantee we'll see some official free league convention support at a Catacon. Cause, um, I really want to lead that up. Uh, and so it's going to be, and also I think I may reach out to them and I may see about helping them out with origins. So I may, as I'm going to origins this year, so I may just hop in and run a game for them. So anyway, well, let's, yeah, let's just jump into, uh, to con news here. We'll, we'll outside just because you talk about it. So a catacon updates very quickly. Normally we launch our Kickstarter for pre-badge sales and all that kind of stuff. March, April time. Because of what happened last year, where we decided to have our event when there was a pretty downward trend in COVID, we had a successful Kickstarter, and then the numbers went way back up, and then we ended up having roughly 40% of our expected attendance, and I lost money uh, at a Catacon. We are going to wait, do it a little bit different this year. My plan right now is to do the Kickstarter after Gen Con. So this will be like middle of August time, I think we'll be close enough to our event to see where the numbers are and see what our expected attendance could be and would be, and hopefully should be still enough time to run a Kickstarter, I think, and get enough badge sales to cover our expenses. That's the plan. You know, Kickstarter itself, it may be something else, whatever, whatever form we use to raise money to make sure we cover our deposits. Now this could change. Think things could, you know, happen and change my mind. But right now that's my particular plan is to wait until after Gen Con before we decide officially what everything's going to be. Uh, I will be going to Gen Con again, unless the world blows up or things get a lot worse. I don't think I'm going to be able to go to Origins. I think I have a conflict that week with something else. And I potentially have a conflict with Sin City Con. Uh, depends on if we actually are able to go on a vacation or not this year, because that's my kid's spring break week. And we usually we go out of town, but I don't know that we are. So I'm not sure what my con schedule for the year is going to be until we get a little closer to some things. All right. I'll hit up. Uh, I'll hit up Origins. I'll take care of Origins. Okay, cool. Uh, You'll be the representative. I'll be the representative. I'll wear my bright yellow shirt. Nice. Okay. No, that's cool. That's big catacon news. So yeah, no. So definitely. Yeah. Free leagues, league of free agents. Check it out. Uh, I'm super excited for it. I think it's going to be cool. Um, I haven't checked out the scenarios just yet, but according to some friends, they're pretty good. So that's cool. Nice. Uh, so other tabletop news. Uh, so NFTs, you know them. I hate them. So Chaosium puts their NFT plans on hold after community backlash. So uh, a lot of people didn't even realize this. Chaosium was doing NFTs and nobody realized this. Uh, so they were selling basically digital kind of Cthulhu statues um, that you could buy. They were, you know, if you know an NFT, you know what I'm talking about. They were always, there are all sorts of different statues. They were doing them. Nobody realized this because Chaosium wasn't marketing these towards tabletop role players. They were marketing them towards people who buy NFTs. So people found out about it. People were like, um, what? And Chaosium said, okay, hold on. Um, we are going to pull our NFT stuff because the people who actually buy our games are not going to buy our games anymore. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. So, uh, I think people are going to realize that the people who are, uh, these role playing game companies, they're going to realize that the people who buy RPGs are not the people who buy NFTs. So it's one of those, it's like a catch 22. Do you sell are you an yeah. NFT company or are you an RPG company? And Chaosium decided for now they're an RPG company. Nice. So 
that's it was just interesting all right and then finally uh kickstarter news uh yeah so kickstarter is slowing down their blockchain release for a similar community backlash and they're going to be creating a community council made up of backers which i don't know how that works and creators so the that's interesting they're not stopping it they are just kind of putting the brakes on it and doing more research because they Kickstarter also realized that the people a lot of people don't realize this, but the largest chunk of Kickstarter is actually board games and RPGs. And well, there's a lot of other creative types. So there's comic books and stuff, and they are also not big fans of NFTs. So they realize that, hey, the people who are actually using our platform are not cool with this. So they're kind of dialing things back. So it's more of a wait and see. They kind of already did the damage and i don't know how they're going to recover from that so yeah i think they'll move forward with it but they are at least trying to placate people for right now yeah i've read a, an interview with the coo about it and it seemed very much like they were somewhat surprised by the backlash but they still think there is value in this so they are basically going to wait and do more research and try to either come up with a proof that what they want to do is worth doing or maybe just see how the you know stick their toes back in the water in a few months to see if maybe people either calm down or if they are continuing to be outraged by this potential move to blockchain and stuff like that. So, yeah. Again, I, again, I've done the interview with uh, Jay Dragon. I'm still not a hundred percent sure what's going on. Yeah. But it seems like blockchain is a solution in search of a problem. And so far, there isn't a really good one. Exactly. And so I think that I think we're going to see people kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Everybody saw that there was money to be made, and so everybody kind of jumped on it because all these companies, they love money, and then they realized that, hey, wait a second, by us pursuing this vein of money, we're ignoring how we made money for the past, you know, five, ten years. So it's different audiences. The people who want NFT and crypto are not the same people who you've been selling stuff to for years. So it's kind of like, it's do are we going to be in an NFT and crypto company or are we going to make games and do crowdfunding? So I yeah I think we're going to see some stuff. How much of this Kickstarter stuff is marketing speak or you know true you know research? I think we're going to find right. out soon. So anyway, that's the news. Uh, very quickly, Action Twelve update. Nothing new from the Tracy front, but I have two different. Maybe even, I think, three different podcasts that uh, I'm working with to do uh, actual plays of the game in, like, March, April time, just to get some exposure and uh, just have some fun playing the game. So look for those. Obviously, we will support whatever people are having us on to do their thing when we get around to it. So nothing else. Cool. Okay. Uh, so before we get into the actual Dungeon Talk stuff, I want to take a quick second to thank two different people who sent in emails. Um, we got an email from Mike, a.k.a. Dirk Lancer, and we got an email from Larry Hot, who is my co-host uh, of the Econ Fundamentals. A while back, we've been talking about starter sets, and Mike had responded that that Tiny Dungeons and the other Tiny D6 games um, are pretty simple and they think are a great starter game to get people into the hobby. Yeah, and then Larry mentioned specifically the um, the Star Trek Quick Start, which I actually ran for him oh, a while ago, and I didn't really understand the two D twenty system from Modifius very well. But he had a very high opinion of that particular starter set and the adventure that came with it. To said it felt very trekky. And then lastly, he also mentioned that there's a new box set from Chaosium for Call of Cthulhu that was uh, very well done. Actually, I'm reading RuneQuest also has a similar starter set. And then I'll just throw in Wizards of the Coast announced another D&D starter set coming sometime, I think, in 2024, maybe? I don't know. I didn't see the whole thing, but it's like a Stormwreck Isles starter set. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know about that. I'm a, honestly, you know, I, I, I don't play a whole lot of, I'm not going to be playing a whole lot of D&D now that Saltmarsh is done, but the Essentials Kit was so well done. But I really do think that I would pick up another D&D starter set. I, I yeah, it's the, such a high quality product. If people ask me, like, again, if I'm ever in, in the forums or whatever, people ask about getting D&D, that's what I tell them. I said, you know, go for the essentials yep. kit as your starter set. But I think it's a better adventure personally. I think it's easier to run 
I think it builds better. I think Lost Minds of Found Ever is a good adventure, but it's, it's I think it's too complicated for yeah. a DM to run well. There's a lot of places where it can go terribly, terribly bad if you're not careful. You know, killing characters in the first encounter happens frequently with that adventure, I've been told. So I think the essential kit is really cheap. And it actually was on Amazon a while back for like eight bucks. Yeah. I bought several and I just have them and I'm going to be giving them out. Like if people I know want them or maybe give them away at uh, a catacomb. So, yeah. Yep. But uh, once again, thank you very much, Larry and Mike, for sending emails. Again, anybody, we do this all the time. We select, you know, a call to action. Dear listener, if you have thoughts or opinions you want to weigh in, please send us emails. We really appreciate getting those. Uh, and we even have some questions we're going to touch on later. But enough of my rambling. Let's get into the meat of the show uh, directly. Tom, what was Dungeon Talk 16 about? All right. This was probably, this is the most dated dungeon talk that i've gotten to yet all right this is hilarious you all were talking about the big bang theory all right so the theory of that the universe was created by a singular explosion yeah you know exactly uh the it was funny you did preface this like hey in that episode you're like we don't know how much actual advice we're going to give but we just want to talk and so i think i will preface the same thing i don't know how much advice we're going to give about these next few topics we just want to talk so all right, Big Bang Theory. You were talking about a specific episode. This was was this back in 2014? This is a, a while ago. It would have to have been. I mean, if this is Dungeon Talk 16, yeah, it, yeah. this is easily around okay. that time. So Big Bang Theory was huge then. They did a episode on D&D. I don't know exactly. Michael, can you explain like this at all? Do you remember the context of this? I do remember this pretty well. What was the episode about? So from my memory, which again could be fallible, but my memory is the the boys of the uh, Big Bang Theory. I don't remember their names. Leonard, I think, is one. I don't, you know, whatever. They were going to play D&D. And then at some point, the girls, Penny and the other ones, uh, were going to, were somewhat tangentially connected. And someone invited Penny to play. And Sheldon said, I've never played D&D with a girl before. And Penny says, oh, sweetie, no one. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And again, nerd Twitter at that time went just off the rails because this was, you know, uh, leaning into the stereotypes that girls don't play role-playing games and girls don't play D&D. And what I took from that, because if you actually watched the episode – can you get did you say have you seen that episode i don't watch dnd i mean i don't watch um big bang theory but let's take a guess just what do you think ended up happening in that episode that the girls played dnd and they had fun (laughs) doing it like once they got over the you know the initial sort of sticker shock of it and in addition there was a segment of like dnd type role play that actually helped two different characters solve a real life emotional issue they were having now this is all very you know comedy written so it's exaggerated for effect of course but ultimately the message of that show was that D would be really fun if you tried it yeah and isn't that what the message we have been shouting from the rooftops for the last 10 years would be but what happened of course is someone like either gift or cut out just that segment and that's what they were playing like they didn't actually watch the episode or they were intentionally not including the context of the episode they were just like look at this crap Girls don't play D&D and just the world went insane. insane. And I was just so frustrated with the fact that, A, people who didn't actually watch the episode were commenting, and they were commenting on the setup, not the payoff. And I just think that was nerd rage out of control. So my takeaways from this was so funny because this was before I was in the Twitter space or RPG space. So I'm listening to all this stuff in a time when I didn't care about it. All right. And, man, I thought that the – I guess – Twitter's always been like that then. <laughs> yeah, that's not new. Yeah, I don't know. It was also because it's interesting too, because this is before Critical Role blew up. This is before um, all of Stranger Things, what we consider these new pop culture milestones for D&D. So Big Bang, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where the, my experience with the Big Bang Theory was how they talk about comic books. And it's so annoying. I get it. It's so annoying. D- Big Bang Theory is not a show. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's some nerds who like the Big Bang Theory, but it's not a show made for nerds. It's a show. It is a show, you know, that kind of 
makes fun of the tropes of nerds, all right? So, like, they do the most tropey comic book stuff, you know? The whole thing about how Aquaman, they talk about Aquaman sleeping with fish and all this other kind of stuff. All these jokes that we've heard so often. So whenever, like, I see an Aquaman fan get mad about it, like, oh, how do they, why do they make this joke? I'm like, people have been making this joke for years. They're, they're cashing in on very. They're making it now on Peacemaker. That has been a recurring bit that that they think Aquaman has sex with fish. Yeah, it's so, it's like, this is very, this is dumb television i don't know i say we say we save our nerd rage for people who are trying to be you know actual influencers in the community to me it's just like like i've watched shows about lawyers i bet that's not very accurate i've watched shows about cops bet that's not very accurate that's what tv is it's an exaggerated reality so it's just that there was finally a show that was about nerds and people who identify as nerds were like, oh, great, finally we get representation. And then it doesn't actually match oh, yeah. who they are. Have you, are you new here? This is TV. It's not supposed to be reality. Yeah. But the heart is still, I think, in the right place. Again, I watched a few episodes of Big Bang Theory. I, I laughed when I watched it, but it wasn't quite my thing. So I didn't stick with it. I didn't watch, you know, probably haven't watched more than 10, 20 episodes, maybe. Ever? I don't know. Not a mini, but I don't like, I'm not a stand for the show. I'm not someone who's like standing up saying this is the greatest show. It's, you know, it's just, it's a TV show about nerds that doesn't reflect reality. Yeah, that's what TV is. Yeah, because it's you not know? made for nerds. Um, the It's so funny because like, yeah, Big Bang Theory, it's not made for nerds. Don't get mad at it. It is what it is. I, th- I'm not going to get mad at that. I'll get mad at Critical Role all day long, you know, because they, they're, they're supposedly billed as for it. But, you know, so it's kind of like uh, a kid, but I'm not. Um, but the, yeah, you know, it's use the rage, um, you know, very for what it, for those who deserve it. Keep it till you need it. Yeah. Don't, don't waste your nerd rage on things that are silly. In my and opinion. I'm, I'm all in favor of nerd rage, but you have to be, be, you know, do it at the right people. Okay. So yeah, it was just, it was funny because I don't, I don't care about big bang. My own experience was because of comic books and, yeah. and me talking with my comic book friends, we all know that the show was made to make fun of comic books and not like made for comic books. So it was, it was funny. It was interesting. It was dated. It was dated very a lot. So, <laughs> Um, the next topic, which was another dated topic, but you know, what? I'm interested in this one. Michael's first Gen Con. Mm, life changing. Okay. Yeah. So you all had never been to Gen Con, but we're talking about going to Gen Con. The big highlights here, you all, you had no idea about it. All I know yep. is that you all had a hotel. You all were then frustrated with the registration system. So that was kind of, that was kind of it. And you just talked about, we're going, I'm very frustrated with the registration system. So I, I know I'm sure this is a super long story, but like, how did that turn out? Uh, yeah, I've mentioned it multiple times. Gen Con changed my life. Okay. I, I went from a person who had never gone to any convention that I can remember. I've gone to, I had one, gone to one comic convention in Lexicon, in Lexington. Yep. Not Lexicon, the gaming convention, but Lexington Comic Con. But I think Gen Con was first, but it may be second. But either way, it was a minor thing if I'd gotten that one first. So anyways, my first real convention, now I'm a person who goes to every convention I can possibly go to. Like it broke my heart that I missed Gen Con uh, last year because of, of COVID. And the fact that I missed that year, it, it upset me. I'm excited to go this year. I you know, like now I go to Origins when I can. I go to SinCissiCon when I can. I go to Lexicon when I can. I started my own convention because of Gen Con. I mean, literally, it was on the drive home from from Gen Con where I'm like, I can't wait a year to do that again. So we're going to do our own. Catacomb was born. I couldn't, I mean, again, I just cannot say enough good things about how positive my first Gen Con was. And I, I'm a different person now because of it. And I'm happy for that. Okay. So was there, you, you were frustrated with the registration system. So how did that go? Like, did you get into, did you get to play games that you wanted to play or is it just kind of a wash? I I did end up getting in quite a few games that I wanted. I think part of my frustration was also revolving around that I wanted to get into games with other people. 
So it wasn't just, yeah. could I get into this game? It's can both of us or can all three of us get into the same game? And, you know, now that I've done it a few times, I don't really mind the Gen Con registration system. I, I know it is what it is. It, it is frustrating at times because there's like, like there's only three games of Dread and I want a Dread game, but they're all going to be sold out before I get into there. Like that's just, you know, that's just kind of how it works. But once I've done it a couple of times, I kind of know how it works. I don't really mind it a whole lot. The, it's It's overwhelming. And if for someone who has some of my OCD type tendencies, it can be a lot of stressor on me because my fear of, well, maybe I'll miss even trying to get into a game. So I go through the entire Gen Con list. When it comes out, I, I export it into Excel. I download it. I use exclusionary filters to get rid of the stuff that I don't care about. Like, no offense, I never want to play a Pathfinder game. Mm-hmm. Like, I will, I will never play Pathfinder at any convention. Just not doesn't interest me. And that's like a third of all the events and it cons apparently. So I get rid of all those. I have no interest in playing Shadowrun, so I get rid of all of those. And then I just start looking games that have more than like six players. I don't like those, so I get rid of those. So, so I go through and I just I whittle down the things I know I'm not interested in. And then I see what's left and I just go through and I basically highlight in a color every single game that I think would be fun. And I try to get to the games that I haven't played before. Like I usually won't play D&D. Yeah. Like I will, I won't get rid of them completely, but I will like maybe turn them all like a really dark black color so I can't really see them. But then if there's gaps in my schedule that I can't fill any other way, then I'll go back and go, oh, there might be a D&D game. But primarily I try to avoid D&D at cons too because I can play that anytime, anywhere. And then once I have every single game that I want, potentially, then I start sorting by days and times. And then I look for things that overlap. And then I have to have to organize them by priority. Like if these games are at the same time or overlap, if I can get into both, which one would I choose? And you do that for every potential time slot. And you, you're probably already exhausted listening to me do this, but I'm actively doing this. Uh, gotcha. And then I put my... I put my wish list together. You cannot have more than 50 things in your wish list, so you still can't get everything. And then I check back Gen Con every two or three days to see what new events were added to see if anything would take priority over something I already have. And I'm constantly updating my wish list every three or four days up until it goes live. This is why I never want to go to Gen Con. That just stresses me But it's out. amazing. I don't know. Oh, it's so much fun. It's just, yeah, no, it's just, uh, it's not my cup of tea, but I understand. But, but again, this is a Michael thing. There are people yeah. who go who don't sign up for anything. Yeah. They just show up, walk around and jump into stuff and they have an amazing time. So you don't have to do it the way I do it, but my brain won't let me not do it that no, way. No, no, I would do it the same way you do it, do it. And that's why I don't want to go because I don't want to do it that way. I would do <laughs> the exact same thing. Uh, so who did you go with? So the the first year, um, originally it was going to be me and and oh my god, it's Evan, my brain, Evan. I was like, I was, just, I want to say Rob, yeah. But Rob was the other friend, but Rob Evan's last name was Rob's son, so I got confused. So it's supposed to be me, Evan, and Nico, and then both Nico and Evan backed out. They're like, we can't go uh. for different reasons. And then I ended up going with Jared. And Travis and Nick and I think Brad went that first year too. Okay, pretty sure. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. Brad was there, so I still end up going with a lot of the you know RPG Academy faculty, but not like at that time of the RPG Academy. Basically, it was me and Evan, and everyone else was kind of sort of doing some things, but they weren't really part of the family. I would say. Yeah. But that you know obviously changed and evolved over time. But yeah, it was uh, Jared, Jared, Travis, Nick, Brad. I think that was it. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and so Jared and Brad, they're still like around all the time. So that's yeah. cool. Uh, yep. Yeah, no. So uh, no. So I'm sure it was a fun time. Was Gen Con like? I guess no. I guess it's. I'm interested to see how big it is this year. Yeah, it it will be interesting to see. I think based off of like badge sales and the hotel registration, I think it's going to be much closer to the 2019 numbers than it was in 2020. Okay. Or even 2021. Who are you going with this year? So right now it's uh, myself, Jared, and Brad and Rocky. Okay. And um, I think Ryan actually might be going as well. Okay. But he he's, he's scheduled. I don't know if he's. 100% sure if he's going or not. He typically goes with the uh, Cincinnati Adventurers Guild folks. Yeah, he runs things for them to get like free badge. Yep. And I think he got a hotel with them yep. last time. But uh, but we have a we have a connection 
one of Brad's really good friends, and he's a listener to the show. He comes to Catacon every year, uh, is a VIG with Gen Con. And if you're a VIG, you have the option of renting out two rooms, and he basically lets us sub-rent the one of his rooms out. So we don't ever have to worry about the hotel process. Oh, we just that's get, awesome. Uh, it is. But we, you know, we have to pay for it uh so the more people we can cram in there the better so i think we've had like eight or nine people in there but now that covid's around we're a little bit more cautious about that uh but i still would like to get like five or six because i don't i'll sleep on the floor in a sleep bag i don't care if i can get get it down to less than 200 bucks for hotel at gen con yeah i'll sleep on a sleep bag in the floor yeah that also sounds terrible to me so there are so many things all right why i would never go all right so uh the mailbag question that you all had all right Mm -hmm. this was a funny one too the question was, how do you be the leader of the party? And that was the question. Somebody wanted to know, like, you're playing D&D. What is the good way to step up and be the leader of the party? So you and Evan both trashed this person. Like, it was, you're like, don't be the leader of the party. What are you talking about? This is not, this is terrible. Take a step back. It was, I was like, oh, okay. All right. So that's what they were asking about. How do you be the leader of the party. And when we talk about that, when we say leader of the party, what are we talking about, Michael? So I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm thinking this is probably a question we made up ourselves if we were that negative towards someone. Uh, I can't imagine we would have done that if someone. Fake controversy. Uh, had, maybe. Um, so this is a, a, an idea that I'm familiar with from the earliest days of role playing games where you actually had a leader of the party as it was like voted on or agreed upon by all the members of the party. You had designated roles. Like you had a mapper, someone whose job it was when you go into a dungeon to physically draw the map based off of the GM's or DM's, you know, description so that you don't get lost. And you had a leader who would, you know, basically try to set the, the, like, the direction, like, this is where we're going to go here. If there was a question of, like, do we go right or do we left, go left. If no one can agree, the party leader would ultimately have the final say and say, well, uh, we're going left, so we are going left. And I just, the way that I play D&D now, there's no need for that. And that might have even been what we were trying, trying to maybe say not so gently at the time, is I just, the, the way that I, the games that I run now, I don't know that you need a designated leader of the party. Now there might be a leader in the characters because of like the story. Maybe one of them is like, maybe it's like a military squad and one of them is a higher ranked officer. Maybe you're playing like Star Trek and you literally have like a first officer or captain. They are by the chain of command within the game structures world, the leader. But I don't think this is like a, a role that a player takes on as much as maybe a character they have. Don't sure what if there's a strong difference there, differentiation. But uh, I don't know. What about you? What do you think? You're new to the role. You never played back in basic. So what? Would, yeah. If you were to say, okay, Tom, you are the leader of the party. You have ultimate say. If we go left or we go right, which which NPCs we go, which quests we take. How would that feel? So, I could see this going very badly with the wrong group of people. Um, I have. Um, I think that if you have somebody who like gets off on power like this is not good for them and that's one of the things you guys talked about like if if you're the person who really likes being in charge maybe you shouldn't be the leader all right so the the thing where i think you really i don't think you think you need somebody who's a leader i think you need somebody who's willing to help the game master when it comes to all the other players because the game master doesn't want to force players to do things you need a player to kind of drive that and what i've done because i am a more type a person when i'm playing with people and nobody else wants to do anything i will kind of hey we should do this and i think it's good for you as a player to take initiative but i think you got to be real careful not to like try to force your will like if somebody else is kind of like, if there's divide, like multiple people want to do different things, don't say, no, we need to do this. Talk to the other players at the table and find out why they want to do that. And then it, at the end of the day, it's just a game. So be willing to what you want to do. Take that off the table. You're now eliminating one thing off the table. You're like, oh, no, we don't need to do this. We can do what you want to do. Like, that is okay. Like, at the end of the day, 
it um it's a your character yeah you have these character goals and everything but it doesn't matter just think i like to think about the game as like are we really having fun here and me trying to argue my case like i want to do this with my character just take a step back it's okay like that's what i think of like the good leader at the table the person who has an idea but then they're willing to say oh no, no 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 let's not do my idea let's do your idea that's cool. And then try to get everybody else to go along with what right. that one person wants. Yeah. I think the biggest change for me, and I will fully admit that there is probably a world of gamers where a party leader is still a valuable yeah. role at the table. But it's not for the types of games that I like to run. Because for me, at this point in my life, my journey as a game master and dungeon master and role player, I have as much fun if we all sit in a room talking about what we're going to do for an hour, if we're all doing it in character, that's fun for me. I don't need the, well, we didn't accomplish anything tonight as much. There are still some, some of that. I'm not going to say none of that, but, but for the most part, I'm, I'm having as much fun just interacting with my friends and being social and role playing and being silly and fun than I am of, oh, we actually got through the dungeon, we took out the ogres, and now I have a better suit of magical armor. That wasn't always the case. You know, when I was younger, absolutely. You know, my my fun was more measured in how powerful is my character now? Did I get the magic item that I wanted? Did I get that new level and the new spells that I wanted? That kind of thing. So for me, the biggest change here is going to be, going to surprise you here, everyone hold on to your seats. A good session zero... Mm might actually help you figure out like what the party dynamics want, like what type of adventure is this going to be? What type of campaign is this going to be? Making sure that the players are all on board for that. Make sure they have created characters that fit within that type of game that you're trying to tell. Then the agreements and disagreements become fun and they're part of the game rather than a barrier to having the type of fun that you thought you were going for. Yeah. No, I think it's it's interesting with like Ghost of Salt Marsh. Alex, Troy, and Jake are all type A individuals. They all would be the leader. But what made that game so good was because they were the type of leader at the table who they all had their character ideas. That was a very character-driven campaign. But every session, they would be like, oh, I remember Jake would say like, oh, Troy wanted to go get this. Let's go do that. Like, So it's very much like Jake is still being the leader at the table and driving the story in a direction but he's driving it in this direction that another player wants to do. So it, it made the story just go really quickly. And then that made Troy be on hit when it was, he'd be like, Hey, I remember Jake wanted to go get this ship, steal this thing from, I don't really, my character really doesn't like stealing stuff, but I know you do. So let's go do that. So it's very much like going meta, like, Hey, I don't, my character doesn't like to do this, but I know your character does. So, but who cares? Let's go do it because it's fun. If I can remember, I think, where this question probably came from. Cause you know, Evan was a Marine. Uh, I think it's one of those weird things. I think typically he's still a Marine. He's just not an active Marine. I think there's like a weird terminology for that. But anyways, he used to be an active Marine. And I think, so he has a strong sense of like leadership culture. Mm-hmm. Like there's a leader, there's a squad leader, there's a commander, there's a, there's a person who makes the decisions for the group. And then your job is to execute to the highest level of your ability. Right. And I think in some of those games that we were playing, he was getting frustrated because we would spend a lot of time talking about our options, but not ever actually making a decision. Now in work situations, I've had that and I've gotten so frustrated in work when we have a meeting, which all we do is decide to have another meeting later because we couldn't actually answer any questions, but in role playing, it doesn't like, it doesn't didn't bother me. I think as a DM, I wasn't pushing them or like trying to like, not necessarily force, but like guide, like this is, this is clearly the right way to go. Or of the five options you have, these are the two that you probably need to decide between. I was just, I was fine just letting them talk to each other for an hour. Cause I was like giggling about the role play, but they were getting frustrated because they didn't feel like there was ever any forward momentum in the campaign. I think, I think Evan probably even probably used those words in this and even the next episode. I think he, cause you said something last time which was actually the episode after this one where he said something about forward momentum Ah, so i think that i think this was an evan led question because he wanted to be the leader because he was frustrated because stuff wasn't happening gotcha so with that all said i actually do think it would be cool and if anybody has a suggestion for a game that is not D D first edition 
where there are assigned roles at the table. I think that'd be really cool to play out. We're like, like, it, but it's part of the game. Like D and D, that's not part of the game. Well, wouldn't you said that's Forbidden Lands when you have your like navigator yeah. and you have your person who who like you know they decide which hex you're going for. Yeah, I think that's kind of, but that, I think that's still in the game. Like it's just based on who has the the highest stat skills. Yeah, I would like it's a very meta concept where it's basically like this is the leader. This it, this person is the the mapper, like you said. This person is the rules person. Like, so if there's a rules question, we turn to this player, and like they have the final say. Like, very much this high meta concept. Like an OSR game would be. I think that would be really cool. Like a somebody who is like a like another person who is like just to decide. Like, do we do this battle or not? Kind of, but very much like I don't know, or like. The person who's like, all right, guys, it's it's now snack time. So like the table, like administrator, like I want that would I think that'd be cool. If there's any weird indie game or OSR game like that, let me know because I'm in, I would be interested in playing that. All right, very interesting. Okay, uh, next topic. This is a little brief. This is a little side note. You guys were going to play Deadlands. All right, Savage Worlds Deadlands. That's the Weird West stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is also relevant because Deadlands is doing another Kickstarter right now, and it's making Buku Lux, and I don't see anything about this advertised anywhere. So I was like, like, what's the deal with Deadlands? Like, who are these people, like, spending so much money on Deadlands? Like, and I don't see them at all. <laughs> like, who are they? Who is playing this game? So did you guys play Deadlands, Michael? And as somebody who's been playing games longer than me, What's the deal with Deadlands? So I, I don't know if I have a good answer. I played the original Deadlands in college a couple times, and I was really into it. I thought it was a it was a pretty fun game. It, you, it was the card based thing where you actually like you dealt out cards, and that was like how you actively it wasn't dice. It was it was cards. I don't remember the whole set it set up now, but I remember that part of it. And um, I had so I had a fondness for it. Around this time, I think Deadlands had moved to a Savage World. Yeah, was like the base of the the, the Heather. That was the system instead of the original one. And we decided to play it. We we do end up playing. We probably end up talking about it in future episodes. And we had a really fun time. Like it was a really great adventure. And we thought about moving and doing an actual play that was a Deadlands actual play. And Nika was basically the one to center because you know he's from Greece. He has no familiarity or nostalgia for the wild west yeah genre and so he was the one player who was like this did nothing for me and so we just said okay then we won't do it but, but evan rob and i were all on board for doing a savage land or savage savage worlds um, um ap after that first trial because we had so much fun playing in it but and, and i'm not trying to naysay i get it nico doesn't have yep. Like he doesn't understand the tropes. Like we, we all got the fantasy stuff, but he he didn't get the whole bat wing doors and the spurs and the black hat and the white. Like that was all like nonsense to him. Uh, but I don't know. But yeah, there seems to be a pretty strong Deadlands group of people that they they ride or die for Deadlands. I don't even know what this new Kickstarter is. I got the email because I've backed a previous Kickstarter from the creator. But I don't. Is it a new rule set? No. Or is it just like a new adventure? Well, I don't ad- know what it is. It's just an adventure called Hell on the High Plains, and it's already at one hundred and fifteen thousand. It's like an adventure for this, and but that's not like they get. I, I just think it's so crazy that uh, there are a ton. These Deadlands things do so much money. Like well, Savage Worlds, like the Rifts, did one hundred and forty thousand. It's just who is playing Savage Worlds? Like, I mean, they're out there. I know there's some people in our in our circle. Like, I know Brad loves Savage Worlds, and I think there's a few other people. But like, I just think it's so funny that there's this thing out there that it just shows how big the RPG world is. And like, when I think I know everything that's going on, and then Deadlands drops, I'm like, I know nobody who plays this game. Like. So. Well, uh, Remy is actually a really big oh, okay, savage, gotcha. savage, I believe. And I was bit every time I've played it, I've had a ton of fun. It looks like, cool. I enjoy playing it, but it just, I don't know, there's just something about it that just doesn't connect strong enough to make me make the choice like, no, this is going to be my game. Uh, but it's definitely a, 
I mean, I I will play, somebody wants to run it for me. I will play it, especially Deadlands. Like I I love playing Deadlands. So sign me up for a Deadlands game. I, I'm all on board. I would actually play a Deadlands game too. Like if yeah, for real. If somebody wants to run a Deadlands game for us, I will play in that. I love westerns. So yeah, no, let's let's do it. All right. Well, uh, that uh, that new um, streaming show that we're going to be starting later in the year. There is a starter adventure both for the original Deadlands, okay, the 20th edition anniversary edition Deadlands, and Savage Worlds uh, Deadlands. I, so we might have some Deadlands on the show in oh, man. August or so. I want to. Oh, I do. I love westerns. I just want to play like the really. I want to play both the really cool guy with the long black trench coat, like who doesn't say anything. But then I also want to play, you know, the 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 really fun gambler kind of character who's super cool you know and has good one-liners i always played the hex uh which are like the gamblers uh, i can't remember what they're called uh, hucksters they like use cards and cast magic and summon demons uh, good that's super cool but anyway yeah no so that kind of wraps up your all's kind of conversation from last time so mm-hmm. yeah it was fun um so before we move on to the final end we actually have some email questions that came in we've we've been talking for a little while about these questions because you you brought them up that we used to do these mailbag segments on the show but we kind of had to keep making up our own questions because nobody was emailing the show uh and so we've been asking for people to email now and we've actually had a couple people that have emailed some questions in so we're going to try to hit these i don't know that we're going to do them justice but we're going to try yeah so our first one is from reverus so again our patron that has come back and he said my group and i just finished our first dungeon and it was a pretty big one. Uh, Pathfinder 2E beginner box converted to 5E. Do you have any tips for a slower session as a DM? I've only ever ran modules and haven't had to deal a lot with downtime between adventures. My players wanted to explore more out of combat role playing. And I haven't done much of that as, you know, haven't done much of that as being a new DM. So for you, um, Tom, any advice for Reverus and anyone else listening on how you handle the non like, Here's the here's the objective. Go for it. Adventure type stuff. Yeah. So downtime's tricky. So I get it with a module where you're always moving forward. Downtime is not like what a module does. But if you do a sandbox game, there's a lot of time for downtime. And the key here, and I love these kind of slower sessions. The most important thing you have to do is you have to give your players a base. They need to have a central location that they can hang out in and then kind of explore the region around them. So for Saltmarsh, I gave them a house. They That's not in the published adventure, but it's a sandboxy adventure. I'm like, they need a house. That's somewhere they can go and have these more campfire chats. Like, I think it's so, you need to have the central location that everything else comes out of. It's hard to dungeon. It's hard when you're linear when you have a linear structure of a campaign because the whole point is everything is moving forward. So sandbox it. Don't be afraid to do that. Waterdeep Dragon Heist, if you want to play D D, is great for that. Salt Marsh is great for that. Uh even the um Frost Maiden adventure, these are all sandboxy games that just give them a house. I mean, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Troll Skull Manor, right off the bat. They get a house in the very first chapter. Um, That's going to really help you do like some slower sessions. So that would be my piece of advice. So for me, the uh, the equivalent to that was in Dark Discovery, where our characters had a ship, and it it almost became like a, a running sort of motif that at some point in almost every episode, if they were on the ship, we would have that scene where they all sat around like the the galley table, captain's table sort of thing, and they would just go around and talk to each other. And I've mentioned this before, but this is where I would just say to the players, I want you to just sit around this table and talk to each other in character for a while. Like that, that's what this scene is about. So just, just talk. And so for me, part of it is just make sure you're giving them the opportunity and, and like, you know, letting them, letting there be some downtime for that role play to happen. Don't be afraid to just say, I want this to be a role play scene. Just talk to each other in character and kind of see how it goes. But it still needs to be fun. And, you know, this, this is going to be table dependent. But if there are certain downtime activities that maybe one character's 
journey might be a little bit less interesting for everyone else. Don't be afraid to do that outside of table time as well. You know, emails or texts or discords and like, you know, my character wants to try to find, um, my long lost cousin. Okay. Maybe you spend a couple in between sessions dealing with that outside of the game, but when they find the cousin, that's when you bring it back to the table. And and that, you know, there's a good hour of the table time is you actually finding your cousin, whatever interaction that is, or, they, or they've just been kidnapped. So now you're chasing them down to whatever the case may be is try to make sure that everyone gets to have fun. Even if you're doing downtime for other people would be probably my biggest pieces of advice. Oh, and then you said campfire. Absolutely. I'm a big proponent that you skip to the fun stuff. So like if you're three days out from the cave of wonder, you say, after three days, you have arrived at the Cave of Wonder, and then you get to the adventure. But if you want to do more downtime, you know, at the end of the first day, there's been nothing happening. You're in the woods. You sit around the campfire. Now, let's all talk about what's been going on. Yes. You know, so just like your house conversations, my ship conversations, you know, it's a it's a trope in, in stories. We see it all the time where it's like these big action set pieces, you know, m- you know, uh, adventurous types but there's almost always a scene that's around a campfire and that's where like the emotion comes out or some of the backstory or we learn why this person does what they do or why this person acts this way. So just do the same thing, you know, put in a couple beats that are the emotional time around the campfire in between the travel stuff. Yep. All right. So actually I, I lied. This was not an email question from reverse. It was a discord question uh, because the second one from Brian here sort of tagged on top of it and then expanded a little bit more. So Brian had asked, as opposed to the sometimes reactive nature of the dungeon or the mission or the module, how can you help new or otherwise unsure hesitant players to be proactive with their character's growth story and ambition during downtime? Are there structures, ideas, prompts, hooks, etc. that that are useful to help them set and pursue personal character goals? How do you respond and reward that proactivity to encourage further ownership of their character's story? And how do you keep track of all this as the DM? Is it your job or the player's? So I think it's the player's job to keep track of this. I think it's the DM's job, though, to understand what the players care about. So really look at their in D&D specifically, look at their bonds, ideals, and their flaws. Use them. If there's any NPCs from their past, bring them into the story as soon as possible. So if somebody says, you know, I was trained by my master who I now hate, you know, don't wait five sessions to bring them at, bring them in, bring them in immediately. Like, boom, session one or two. Like, really think about your you may not know or your player may not know how they're going to interact with this but just just bring them in shoehorn those backstory stuff in as soon as possible like that's don't try to let it happen organically at the table like it's not just shove it in like you know that's yeah that's what you got to do and then i think players are really going to care about it yeah that's kind of my big piece of advice is if there's something the players care about, use it. They're not, they they forget in the moment to talk about their backstory. You know their backstory and you pull stuff from it. So, yeah, I, And this kind of relates somewhat to the first one, but I've done that sometimes where I will say, you know, Brad, your character has in your background, you, you know, your background is that you X, Y, or Z, you know, you were in an orphanage that burned down and you got lost from all your friends. You just were in a town where a fire almost burned down the orphanage and you helped save it. How is your character feeling right now? Yeah. You know, you, you just had this moment that really should tie into like, you should be like emotional, maybe like how I'm not going to tell them they have to be emotional, but I'm going to like help remind them that, you know, in your backstory, you have a problem with authority and you've now just been ordered by the King to do this mission or else, you know, how are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about this situation and and prompting them to role play out that reaction? Yeah, I think that's really good advice because a lot of times players, they kind of feel bad for like, and I do feel bad too. Like if there's something that's happening in the story, I kind of feel most selfish for like making it my thing. So, but if you as the dungeon master made something like this fire that burned down and this other character's orphanage was burned down it's a very tragic story so remind them like hey your backstory yeah don't be afraid to if you made something for their player's backstory tell them you made it for them be very meta about it and then role play it there 
So, yeah. Yep. Uh, the other thing that I would say here is it's going to be different for different characters it's going to be di- or players going to be different for different tables. If you have players who are very motivated by getting the cool new stuff, then tie in some sort of equipment magic item to their backstory. Like if they are able to find this person they're looking for, maybe they are then bequeath this eye. Like you know, you know, our great grandfather gave me this. Here's a, here's a ring and it's a magical ring or it's a magical sword or it's a suit of armor. Maybe it's a title or land, you know, if there's some in-game benefit that that player would respond to, then tie that into them pursuing these quote unquote downtime activities or these role play opportunities. If they are more interested in just the fun of that role play encounter, then lean into that. So find what is motivating them and then try to make tie that to it. Uh, one of the things that I've done before, and I think I stole this from Brad. That's where I think it came from. And I'm sure he got it from somewhere. But uh, I would have the character say, give me three goals for your character. One's a short-term goal, one's sort of a middle-term middle goal, and one's a long-term goal. So like short-term goal is to to get out of this situation. Second one is to find a particular weapon. And the third is to kill the person that ruined your life, whatever the case may be. And then that gives you three things to start with. Then once you've accomplished that first goal, you either move this, the middle one up to the first one because you've made progress toward it, or you add in another new short-term goal. And that way, you as a DM, it's, again, it's very clear. The player is telling you, this is what my character is trying to accomplish right now, and this is their long-term, long-term goals, and you just kind of help build them in segments towards it. And you physically have a card that has that on there or a digital asset that has that on there so you can remember it and maybe add little notes to it and that kind of thing. Cool. All right. Uh, Scurvy Ninja had asked, um, have we ever played an RPG where the, PT, where the PCs are in a military or similarly structured organization that have different ranks and power dynamics? We kind of touched on this earlier. Um, you know, have you ever thought of playing a military styled RPG like Twilight 2000, for example? So we also mentioned Star, Star Trek would be similar as well. Yeah. You want to start with this one, Michael? How have you, you ever do that power dynamics or played a military game? Um, so I, I ran that Star Trek game. I have ran D and D games where we were all part of like um, a military squad. Like that was all our combined backstory. We're all this group of like soldiers. So we would have a, a ranking a member of uh, like a rank. One of the characters had a rank above the others. Primarily, when I did this, it was before I think I was mature enough, or my players were mature enough to fully appreciate that. And it was usually not handled very well by anyone at the table yep. i i like to think now that we would be able to handle that better particularly thinking of like a star trek sort of situation you know there are times where the command structure became part of the drama but those were also leaders who would listen to lesser ranked people if they were the experts you know like picard would listen to Jordy if Jordy said like hey the ship's gonna blow up if you do that but then Picard still may make the decision, well, that's a chance we have to take. So, I'm, you know, so I think you could actually have a lot of drama and fun role play without it just being a, I'm the leader, you do what I say, shut up, pee on type of thing. But you would have to have the right group and strong session zero. Yes. Ding, take a drink. So I will probably play Twilight 2000 at some point because it's a free league game. I didn't get this one, but one of my players did. Um, so, yes, I will probably play that game soon. I, though, have also done something similar, Michael. I have done D&D, which I actually now, I'm going to, I just checked. I'm going to post this on our Discord. I wrote a scenario that is this. It is called Britannia. It's based on a comic book that I love. It's a weird Rome scenario. And I made the characters, pre-gens, with specific military roles. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll, It's... Like, this was back when I first got into D&D 5e, and I was writing a bunch of stuff for myself. And, yeah, it's a full-fledged... I just checked. It's, like, three-page scenario. Like, so I'm going to post that. I had a lot of fun running that. D&D isn't made for that type of game, but it was fun. But there is an answer to this question. There is a game, and Troy commented on Twitter. It is Paranoia. All right. Paranoia, if you want ranks and power dynamics, it is the game. It's built into the system. In Paranoia, everybody has a color level. It is your rank. Higher ranks than you get to tell you what to do. So, and it's, Paranoia is a very comedic game. So if I'm a 
I can't remember the color ranges, but if one of the other players gets promoted in the game by friend computer and they're a higher color rank than me, they can command me to do stuff. Like, and it is built into the system. But then the whole point of that is you're losing your ranks the entire time. So you may be a higher rank than me and you command me to do something. But the next hallway, you may say something stupid and friend computer demotes you and makes me a higher rank than you just to spite you. And now I get to command you to do stuff. Paranoia has this built in and it is so much fun because it's built into the game and it's supposed to be comedic like there's supposed to be players telling each other what to do because the whole idea is that that could be flipped on its head at any moment so you got to be careful so i think it's a safe way to do power dynamics because i know that can be very you know a lot of people don't want to play with that at the table they don't want the idea of somebody else can tell them what to do but if you want to do that safely paranoia is like it is so much fun i love it the, the go get the box set the new box set it's it's good so i mean power dynamics like that they can be a lot of fun but they can also be like i play this game to get away from yes. my boss yelling at me i don't want to play a game where a different idiot gets to tell me what to do and gets all of our characters dead and then you know that's not fun so right group right game good session zero i think it's absolutely could be a ton of fun yep all right. And then lastly, this one kind of ties into the others, but Larry again sent an email in. This says, are there any surefire tips to help players get more comfortable role-playing and especially role-playing with each other and not just NPCs? I would just quickly say again, I've done the thing where I just say, this is a role-play scene. I want you to role-play with each other. Mm. Now, if someone is, is uncomfortable role-playing, that's not necessarily going to help them. So you got to have some kid gloves on because some people play the game mostly to hang out with their friends, roll some dice, kill some you know, kill some goblins, whatever. And I don't want them to have, to have less fun because I'm trying to shine a spotlight on them and make it a, you know, you're the one that hasn't role played yet. Everyone look at them. That's probably the opposite of what I would want to do. Uh, so tying into their backstory, what they've told me they want to do, what they're interested in, giving them those opportunities, mentioning, Hey, with your backstory, this is probably something you might be interested in being totally cool with third person narration. If they just want to say, Oh yeah, I think I feel pretty upset about this. I'm probably going to walk off and be angry. Great. Thank you for, you know, sharing that you move on. Uh, and then just hopefully slowly over time, they'll get more comfortable dropping into the I language rather than the third person. Anything from you, sir? No, because I don't have a good answer for this. This is one of the hardest things ever to get players to role play with each other. And I really do think that this comes down to different groups are going to be different. Some people are going to be super comfortable doing that. I haven't, I don't have a good answer for it because I've had it go both ways where it's very uncomfortable, where you're just kind of like, okay, you guys talk now. And nobody wants to talk. So you're like, okay, never mind. Let's move on. And so, <laughs> just yeah, just kidding. So, I don't know. It's tough. Um, I think really what you said, be meta. Tell them, hey, this is a role playing. Be okay with third person narration. Um, but yeah, no, Larry, if you figure this out, tell me. All right. Yep. So. And we'll ask in, ask the audience, dear listener, if anyone out there has suggestions anything that has worked for you either as the player trying to get you know pulled more into role playing or as a dm gm pulling people into role playing please let us know send us an email at the rpg academy we'd love to hear from you all right with that we're going to wrap things up so thank you tom as always for doing the heavy lifting on these episodes and going back and re-listening i really appreciate it um where can people find you again on the internet if they would like to come yell at you about not watching big bang theory yeah you can follow me at bezcar tom on twitter that's mandalorian metal tom on twitter all right. And you can find me at the RPG Academy. Once again, you can email the show at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. We got a new rating this week on iTunes, bringing us up to 138. Ooh. Wasn't a review. I like reviews because they're fun to read, but ratings are great too. So please consider if you haven't yet done that, uh, consider, you know, if you're considered doing that, um, consider joining our Patreon. We, we've actually been growing a little bit since we've revamped things. I'm, I'm getting excited. We're starting to build yep. and grow and um, we're about to be probably next month. We're going to do our first quarterly t-shirt for our top tier. And we have a uh, indie RPG that we're going to share with our top tier patrons. Uh, we're in about the middle of reading the um, light of the new Republic or light of the Jedi. It's the new high Republic star Wars book. That's our second book club book. Uh, and there's other fun stuff you can get, including extra credit 
which Tom and I are going to hang up this call and then do that one next for patrons only. So thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone listening. But remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.